following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Now, we are going to be turning to uh, the Bible and uh, turning to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And uh, Katie is going to come and read for the tenth and final time um, from Exodus 20, which is on page 77. So, Katie, thank you so much. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. Wonderful. Brilliant, Katie. Thank you very much. Got a few handouts here to send these round. They'll gradually work their way back to you. So this is our final time in the Ten Commandments. And um, on commandment number ten, let me pray, and then we'll uh, have a think about it. Father, thank you so much for your word that you speak to us. Lord, please give us ears to hear now. Might your spirit be at work in our hearts. And Lord, might, as we look at these words uh, for one final time, please show us your way. Give us a longing to live lives of love. But even more than that, Lord, give us the power to do so. Help us to know your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this series, uh, we've been looking at 10 words, 10 commandments, and uh, just to remind us that these commandments were given after God rescued his people out of Egypt. So I just want to take you to those first two verses of chapter 20 as we come to a conclusion on this whole series. And remember this, chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of slavery. So first comes the rescue. 
And then as God's people gather at Mount Sinai, ready to go off to the promised land, he says, this is how you should live. First, I rescue you. And this is how I want you to live. First, God loves us. And now we're to love him. And what does he say about how they should live? Well, uh, we've thought about it under these ten headings, uh, which each match the Ten Commandments. If you, I'll go through this too quickly. He's jot them down. But it's in the term card. In the term card. Have a look through that and you'll see what um, the, the, the different ways are that he calls us to live. I mean, he said, uh, have no other gods. Uh, we see in the Ten Commandments, have no other gods. Put God first. That's undivided allegiance. Second, undiminished worship. We're not to have any idols. Third, untarnished name. We're not to misuse God's name. Fourth, unhindered rest. And we're to remember the Sabbath. Fifth, honor elders. And we're to obey our parents, uh, honor our parents. Sixth, uh, we're to honor life, do not murder. Seventh, honor marriage, do not commit adultery. Eighth, honor property, do not steal. Ninth, honor reputation, do not give false testimony. And this week, honor in the heart, do not covet. Now, in many ways, it's quite a surprising one to finish with because this final one is actually to do with our sort of inner life, what goes on inside. All the others, there was sort of external, primarily it seems, external um, evidence of whether or not you kept them, whereas this, this is going on inside. Uh, Jen Wilkin comments, looking particularly at the second half of the commandments, saying it kind of goes from don't do it to don't say it, and now don't even think it. Which is a bit of a surprise, perhaps, that it goes a commandment about what's going on in the inside. And yet, actually, the more we read the Bible, the more we realize that's not a surprise. And actually, these Ten Commandments have always been about much more than what goes on on the outside. It is to do with what goes on the outside, but it starts on the inside. And actually, when Jesus spoke about what it looks like to live the Christian life in the Sermon on the Mount in particular. He, he brought, brings these commandments and he takes them to the heart, to our hearts. And in fact, when Jesus summarizes the law, summarizes the commandment, what does he say? He summarizes it in really one word. And that one word is love. Love. Uh, let me take you to Matthew 22. It's on your handout, where Jesus says this. He's asked the question, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's all the law. And the Ten Commandments are really a summary of God's law. And the summary of the Ten Commandments is to love to love, to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So actually, love is something that comes from within. And so all these commandments have been about what goes on within and how that works itself out in our lives. And as rescued people, as people, if we're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're a Christian, we've been rescued by Jesus from the dominion of darkness, uh, from, as it were, our Egypt. 
And we've been taken out, and now we're being told this is how we're to live. And the Christian is to live a life of love. Love for God. Love for one another. And what's been wonderful about these Ten Commandments is it just gives us lots of different angles on what love looks like. What does love look like? It can feel very vague. Well, Ten Commandments shows us what love look like, looks like from lots of different angles. So, uh, the final angle is this. Uh, not to cover. You shall not cover uh, your neighbor's house. Uh, now, what I want to do is simply think about this under three headings. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to not covet? Uh, why is it important? And how can we do it? How can we do it? So first, what does it mean? Uh, what does this command actually mean? And it's really to do with desire. But most importantly, it's to do with misplaced desire. Misplaced desire. Not desire itself. It is not wrong to desire things. Desire is a good God-given thing. Um, We're to desire God. Uh, In Psalm 42, the psalmist says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so so my soul pants for you, my God. And you see it all over the Bible, and particularly in the Psalms. The psalmist desires God. We're to desire God. And also, there's nothing wrong with desiring good things in life. Uh, We're made with desires. We desire food and drink and sleep and friendship, all good natural things to want and to desire, and that we need. We need. The issue that this commandment's looking at is misplaced desires. When we want something, when we long for something more than we should do. And it's helpful, actually, to see this command, I think, in the context of relationship, as it's put very much here in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, It's very much put in the context of our relationship with our neighbor. Uh, I simply say the people around us, those living around us, uh, and in the context of their things and their relationships and their circumstances. Let me just read the commandment again, verse 17. We see this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. In other words, don't wrongly desire your neighbor's home or his wife or his household or his circumstances or his wealth or anything. It's so easily a part of our life, isn't it? Uh, we're thinking about that earlier in the feature, how covetousness, uh, wanting uh, what is not ours to have, uh, how, how often that's the case. Envy, jealousy, it's such a big part of our life. Uh, you've got it and I want it, uh, we often feel. I mean, that can be right from the level you go out to a restaurant and you order something, I don't know, bangers and mash, and then the person you went with went for the burger, and out comes the burger, and of course it looks amazing, and yes, ah, made the wrong choice. We can cover it on that. But in a much bigger way, we can cover it on so many different areas. We can think, look, I want your car. I want your job. I want your friendship group. I want your personality. I want your grades. I want your 
holidays, your home, your children, your parents, your skills, your brain, your, your uh, uh, body, your knowledge, your trainers, your money, your age, your boss, your work arrangements, your relationships, your school, whatever it might be, we, we, we look at what other people have and we think, I would like that, I want that. Why have they got that and I haven't got that? We so easily sort of think, well, it's all right for them. If I had that stuff, I'd be absolutely fine. Easy for them. Does anyone else feel that way at times? And it's worth just thinking about what, what's going on inside there? How, what's happening? And how does that grow? And I guess the process can often be a little bit like this. It sort of starts out, we sort of spot, there's almost a spontaneous thing that goes on. We see something, we think, oh, quite like that. Uh, perhaps initially it sort of catches up us off guard, but then we just sort of mull on it a little bit, just allow it to sort of go around our heads and our hearts, and we nurse it, and we feed it with our time and our thought life, and think, yeah, I really would like that. And then if it goes out of control, we can start to make a plan to think, well, how can I get that? I'd love that friend that other person has. How can I get that friend for myself? How can I even take that friend away from that other person? And then at worst, we hatch the plan and then we actually do the deed. So that is what envy, what covetousness is. I want what you've got. Now, why is this... um, such a problem? Why is it so damaging? Because living this way really does cause damage. Covetousness, envy, jealousy is really, really damaging. Uh, I love the way that the book of James sort of picks up this, the flow of desire going through to death. Wrong desires, how it takes you to death. It's on your handout, uh, James chapter 1, verse 14. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Wrong desires leading to sin, leading to death. It brings about death. It brings about destruction. Uh, just worth thinking about three areas in which I think it, it does this. Uh, firstly, in our relationships. If we allow envy into our relationships, covetousness into our relationships, it's the death of them. It damages them. Because it means that rather than seeking our friend's blessing and their flourishing and their well-being, actually what really we're interested in about is um, ourself. And what can I get out of it? And we so easily diminish the other and try and big ourselves up. And that is a disaster when it comes to relationships. I don't know, you might well think of examples of that in your, your life, in people around you, in uh, the office, in, in the school, at the school gate, how you can see how envy can damage relationships. It's easy to see in public life. It seems to go on all the time in public life where jealousy and uh, envy left unchecked just destroys relationships. 
Uh, in romantic relationships, it causes enormous amounts of damage. Uh, it's been said that lust is really sexual covetousness. It's a desire to have what isn't mine to have. And that causes immense damage and hurt. So covetousness in relationships does enormous damage. It also does damage, not just to relationships, but to ourselves. Secondly, to ourselves. Uh, it feeds so easily a discontentedness in our lives that can very quickly lead to bitterness and to self-pity. So often covetousness is about comparing ourselves with others. And it's been said that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And isn't this where social media is such a dangerous area, actually? Uh, because in social media, we so quickly see people's curated lives, and everything always looks so much fun, uh, and everyone has so many friends, and so many brilliant experiences, um, perfect clothes, perfect bodies, and uh, these sort of images are available to us, of course, not just when we're at school or in the office, but they're available all day long when we get home in the evening. And this sort of, it can feed this endless sense of comparison. And that can so quickly lead to a covetousness and an envy and a jealousy. And that just brings misery. Brings misery to ourselves. So it causes damage to relationships, it causes damage to ourselves. And finally, it, it damages our relationship with God. Actually, if you go right back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, and you see where Adam and Eve went wrong, it sort of starts with covetousness. It starts with envy as they look at this fruit. And as the serpent says, look, this will, this will make you wise. This will make you like God. And they see it and it looks pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. And they want it. They want what isn't theirs to have. And the result is a disaster. It is fatal. Fatal to them and fatal to their relationship with God, the source of all life. And that's been the case ever since. Ever since the, these this desire, this envy from within has been a part of the human condition. Uh, Jesus called it out in Matthew chapter 15 where he says that uh, this stuff comes from within for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. This stuff comes from within and it causes huge damage to our relationship with God with one another, and with ourselves. Okay, that's all the bad news. <laughs> Have we, we can probably feel that covetousness is not a good thing. And I guess we kind of know that. We don't really need that much persuading on that. What do we do about it? How do we deal with it? Well, that's our final point. And there is good news here. How do we avoid covetousness? How do we stop envy? How do we know a contentedness? How do we get our hearts right here? Well, if you've been 
part of this church for any length of time, the answer's not going to surprise you, but we still need to hear it week by week. And the answer's Jesus. The answer's Jesus. The answer's the gospel, the good news about Jesus. To know first that through Jesus there is forgiveness, because we've gone wrong on this way in so many, so many times. In fact, one of the features of looking at the Ten Commandments is that we see our sin afresh. It just shines a light on the ways in which we go wrong. Um, and it can be quite a painful spotlight. And we need to be reminded again and again and again and again. And we're going to be reminded as we share the Lord's Supper a little bit later as well. That at the cross we are forgiven. All our guilt is washed away. All our wrongdoing, all our envy and our jealousy and our covetousness, our discontentedness, our bitterness, our self-pity, all of that is forgiven as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us who died for our sin. We need to know that. But more than that, in the gospel we know that we're given a new heart, a new life. Hear these words of Ezekiel 36, chapter 36, verse 26. Uh, This is a promise of God that is true for all Christians. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. That's an amazing truth. If we're trusting the Lord Jesus, we have a new heart. And we have a new spirit within us. The Holy Spirit. Who will change us day by day. Bit by bit. To be more like Jesus. And to live more like him. So we have forgiveness We have new life. And finally, in the gospel, we actually have the means by which this happens. And we're to feed on the truth of Jesus Christ and to know him better in order to to grow in his ways more. So let me just uh, help us apply this as we finish to covetousness. How does knowing Jesus, how does knowing that he died for me, How does knowing that he is risen, that he's given me his spirit to live for him, how how does knowing these truths of the gospel change my life when it comes to covetousness or discontentedness? Well, it's to know that in Jesus I have all I need. I have all I need. I have all the riches of heaven in Christ. I have fabulous wealth in him. Told in the Bible, we have an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. Waiting for me for all eternity. And we have a clean conscience. We get are given purpose in life. We are given God's word. And other means of grace where we can grow in God, we're given one another. We're given church. We're given prayer. Uh, We're given the Lord's Supper as well. God gives us uh, the means to grow in his grace, to know his grace afresh day by day, to know the inheritance, the riches that I have in him. And he gives us his spirit 
who is with us now, working in us now. And that's so important for us to know as we finish this series on the Ten Commandments. To know first that we are loved by God. And then we are given his spirit to live for him, to love for him. And to love in all the different ways that we've been seeing. And not least in putting aside envy, in putting aside covetousness. Because in Christ I have all that I need. So we thought we'd sort of end this series by sharing the the Lord's Supper together. uh, By reminding one another of his death for us. And of the new life we have and of the future we have uh, with him. So let's just take a moment of quiet and then I'm going to hand over to Simon who's going to lead us in that. Thank you.